0: Welcome to a new episode of Potato de Listeners. Today I am in the office of Catherine Tambini. Catherine is an award winning filmmaker and documentarian. Her past films include Hate Rising, about the 2016 presidential campaign rhetoric and the rise of the alt-right, The State of Arizona, about Arizona's struggle with illegal immigration, and Farmingville, about a small town on Long Island in the wake of the hate-based attempted murder of two Mexican day laborers. Catherine also co-produced the Academy Award-nominated Suzanne Farrell, Elusive Muse, about George Balanchine's iconic ballerina. She has won and been nominated for many additional awards, including an Emmy for the state of Arizona, the Sundance Special Jury Award for Farmingville, the Impact Award for Outstanding Documentary for Hate Rising, and many more. Catherine produced and directed the documentary Perfectly Normal for Me, which follows children and teens in an NYC after-school dance program called Dancing Dreams. The program is designed to help students with physical disabilities learn dance and express their interest in movement and performance. The film had its nationwide television premiere on Tuesday, October 29th, just a few days ago, at 8 p.m. on World Channel as part of this season of America Reframed. The film can now be streamed on worldchannel.org, and we'll put that on our website as well. In addition to her documentary work, Catherine has assisted in the production design of many well-known Hollywood films, and she has field-produced and shot portions of several reality series. She is a Sundance Institute and MacArthur Foundation Fellow. She holds a BFA from the University of Oklahoma and an MFA from NYU Tisch School of the Arts. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on Padada and for hosting me in your office. Thank you so much for wanting me on your podcast. (laughs) You have... Such a great perspective with uh, the work you've done related to dance. Um, and of course, I'm coming from the film world, so I'm thrilled to talk to you about all of your, your film work. Um, but this is a dance podcast, so we usually start with uh, your dance background. You have been involved in several dance-focused projects. Do you have a background in dance yourself? Do you have training? How did you get involved in that aspect of
1: things? I started dancing when I was really young. No formal training, really. I went to community programs. We had a place called the Northeast Recreation Center in Oklahoma City which was a really wonderful place because it taught dance to kids of all ages and backgrounds and then we also had art classes and it was really wonderful. By the end of the summer we had all made wonderful lanterns and things and we had a parade around the swimming pool and then we did a a dance program. So I started very young, uh, really getting into music and loving dancing, and I went on from there. I wanted to be an actress, so oh, I started okay. taking dance classes when I was in uh, high school. Okay. Uh, I took jazz and tap, <laughs> and cool. then okay. I and the fun then, ones, <laughs> yes. And then I went on to college, and I studied Graham. Uh, and I studied ballet and then from there I did a few plays that I had to dance in which was really fun Uh, but you know then I went on to work in the film industry and I began working for a production designer so I did a lot of really wonderful Hollywood films and then I went on to uh, meet Ann Bell, who was the director of Suzanne Farrell, Elusive Muse, and we worked together for six years on that film. Wow. It took a long time because we were fundraising. We were also following Suzanne around uh, as she taught Balanchine ballets to different companies. So uh, she was really terrific. Let's see. How do we go from here? How did
0: you transition from uh, theater and that kind of world and pursuing acting to
1: making documentary films? That's an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I decided that I wanted to learn how to produce. Okay. Uh, I was doing lots of theater. I was doing a lot of avant-garde theater, East Village. Mm-hmm. I played... Uh, I, Steve Buscemi was my son in... Titus Andronicus, wow. when we did the classics comic book version at the Pyramid Club in the East Village. Oh
0: wow, that sounds so fun!
1: <laughs> it was really fun. I decided, you know, that I I really wanted to to learn how to produce my own things. Mm-hmm. So I went to everyone I knew in the film business in the theater, and I said, I need a job. Got anything? And. One person said, we need a PA in the art department. And I said, that's great. I'll do it. What's a PA? <laughs> that's how it starts. <laughs> that's how they get you. <laughs> so I uh, I began, you know, buying coffee and pastries for the art department. And then the <laughs> first production designer of that film got fired. A new one came in. And he and I just really hit it off. And he started taking me and having me written into his contract So I worked on a number of, uh, you know, big Hollywood films, uh, Steel Magnolias, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, The Secret of My Success. And then I met my husband, who was a documentary sound recordist. I met him on the set of Steel Magnolias. And after we got married, I went away to do uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. And it was just like, this is not really, you know... Being a production designer or an art director was not really what I wanted to do, so I, he started introducing me to his people who he knew, and Ann Bell was just gearing up for the Suzanne Farrell film and needed someone to work with her, so I, that's how I got into documentaries. And she was a fantastic mentor. She taught me all about making documentary films, from fundraising to uh, interviewing to getting the film finished, editing, getting it out, distribution. She was just really terrific.
0: That's so exciting. And I love that you did dance. You did some dance growing up, so you could kind of have an appreciation of uh, what one gains from dancing, but it wasn't like you were pursuing dance and you sought out this opportunity to do this dance film. It kind of all came together um, in a very interesting way. And now you're making another film or you just made another film uh, with a, a dance aspect to it. Tell us more about Perfectly Normal to Me. Were you at all influenced by the experience with the Suzanne Farrell documentary to pursue something dance related or did it fall into your lap? How did it come together for this new film?
1: it kind of fell into my lap i um you know i i after the suzanne ferrell film ann and i were making a film about stanley williams the dance teacher who balanchine oh. brought over uh from denmark okay uh and he he taught darcy kistler and he was uh, peter martin's uh, eddie valella they were all proponents of his melissa hayden and we began making that film, and then we had some technical issues. We went to Denmark. we filmed lots of wonderful old Danish dancers who had wonderful oh. stories to tell.
0: Oh that's so fun.
1: And then Stanley died, and we had he, had, he had kept saying, "Oh, sweetheart to anos, oh, sweetheart go and, and and interview everybody else, and then come to me." Mm. and he He just really didn't want to do the interview, I think. Um,
0: Is it because he knew he was. I think he
1: did know. And he, you know, he's a very private, really very shy almost man and um, lovely, lovely, wonderful dance teacher. Uh, But we we never finished that film. I, I think of it often and think maybe I should somehow go back and try to piece that together. Uh, but anyway, um, then I, w- I started doing, I, I, I went into the social issue arena with my film, Farmingville, and uh, as we followed the the rhetoric and the, all of the things that were happening around people coming to the country, looking for work, undocumented workers, it really caught me so I, I, I went down that path for the social issue path so then when this opportunity perfectly normal for me came around it was it was quite wonderful uh, because I felt like I was I was sort of coming back to my roots which is, has been dance I've always been a dancer I've always danced I still dance I dance Argentine tango now so it was marrying the dance with the social issue of inclusion and self-acceptance and uh, and seeing people for who they really are which is what I try to do with all of my films Hmm. I try to show the human in the human being so that we can all relate to people in in that way
0: that's so interesting because that is the process of being a documentary filmmaker is really showing what people are kind of exposing that but in a, in a good way. So with Perfectly Normal For Me, how did you come to the project or how did you kind of find it
1: or discover this program? I was approached by Elizabeth Hemmerdinger who is my producing partner on this film. Uh, we hadn't met; we didn't know each other. She was referred to me by another filmmaker friend who knew that I had done the Suzanne Farrell film, mm-hmm. and so when Elizabeth came and said she had this wonderful project, I was like, "Yes, this sounds great." Mm-hmm. Uh, so Elizabeth, it was she has such an interesting story. Her, she has twin granddaughters who were born prematurely, and they were in the neonatal intensive care unit and she was very worried that uh, one of them was struggling quite a bit and she was so worried that they were going to end up with some sort of disability. Uh, So she was in this neonatal NICU. She was very upset. She turned away and turned to the window and she made a promise that if her granddaughters were okay that she would do anything that she could. She would try to find a way to bring the attention of people with disabilities mm. to the world and to do everything that she could to help. Mm. Uh, you know, fast forward 13 years, her twin granddaughters are fine. Okay. And a few years after that, she was, she saw Dancing Dreams on TV. There was, I think that uh, Joanne Ferrara, who's the director of Dancing Dreams, was on with Veronica, one of our, uh, one of the stars of our films. I think our film, Veronica, I think was maybe about five at the time. Oh, wow. And Veronica, even at the age of five, was very precocious and very smart and Uh, She just really shone, and Mm -hmm. Elizabeth said, I want to help this program, so she did. Uh, She began helping fundraise for that, and then uh, they decided that they wanted to make a film. Elizabeth said, I want to make a film about this, so she stepped down uh, from the board, and she sought me out, which was great, and uh, here we are (laughs) a few years later. Wow. Wow.
0: Um, that's great, and I love that you know that your work with Suzanne Farrell also recommended you for for this, and that you felt you were going back to your roots as yes. a dancer. So you really identify with dance, and
1: oh, I and, do absolutely. I I love mm-hmm. dance. I've always when when I started taking the dance classes in college, I was like, oh my god, this is just so great because I won't, mm-hmm. you know, I just dance. I love music. Good music makes me want to get up and dance.
0: Yes, and I feel like that's what dance is. There are so many people who oh, I
1: can't dance, you know, and it's like. No,
0: everybody can and everybody has been since the beginning of time. Um, And, you know, we get caught up sometimes in the formal training and, you know, the rigor of ballet or whatever, but really dance is for everyone. Um, And I imagine that probably shows through in this film as well. Are there kind of themes running through it about the universality of dance? Because here are even people with perhaps physical disabilities who are dancing.
1: Yes, and I think it's so important that uh, we have dance in education. It's, yes. it's such an important thing. Yes. I mean, we, we then begin to experience our bodies in a different way. Uh, dance is non-competitive. Mm. It's a wonderful way for people, kids, to express themselves and learn about their spatial relationship to the world. Mm-hmm. We're so, now we're so into our, our phones, our phones, cell phones and we're like totally like looking into the film into the into the screens all the time and and we don't have any sense of ourselves and I think it's really a great way for kids to develop a a sense of self-acceptance to know their limitations to develop stamina and it's great because you know when you when you have music and you're listening to music and you're counting beats to the music it helps with your arithmetic yes it helps with all sorts of different things so i i think that you know the current administration wanting to cut arts programs from the curriculums of schools is really insane Mm -hmm. and really bad for the development of us as a society of us as human beings
0: Yeah. And I'm so glad that you point all of these things out and that, you know, they they probably show through in the film as well. I think dance does so much. I've even noticed, this is my own kind of random observation, but I think it's just really good for like the brain, like strengthening the brain. Um, Whenever I try to take a hip hop class, which I still can't do to save my life, like level one, I can like feel my brain like working and struggling to remember the movement and on time like what is that little step that i have to do in between these all these other steps and i mean with ballet it's like i don't notice my brain working because i've been so trained in all the movements for so many years but with hip-hop i'm like oh my god like this is i can't it's my brain like mentally it, it, that's where i'm stopping short of being able to do the movement and i keep thinking i don't i never find time but um just like for brain strengthening, what, what better activity is there than taking a dance class that challenges you? Because you're thinking in real time, like trying to keep up. I, I mean, I think dance has such a place in education.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I have the same exact experience when I danced Argentine tango because I danced the, the followers part. I don't really have to think. Mm-hmm. But my teacher pushed me to start leading, and so, when you lead, you really have to think about what you're doing, listening to the music, hearing the beats, and I find that my brain trying to remember those patterns, which are very intricate and complex yeah uh it, it it's just amazing and And then, when I go back to following, I have to like sort of like give up mm-hmm. what I've just been struggling to. Keep inside my head yeah. uh, but it's uh, I, I think it's it really stretches you it really dance is really wonderful for all sorts of expansion and uh, learning it helps you remember it hel- it helps your memory it helps all sorts of things
0: yeah it helps everything um, and on that note and maybe um, we've already kind of covered but just out of curiosity did you observe specifically with that group of disabled children in the Dancing Dreams program, did you observe um, specific things you saw them kind of taking from dance or benefiting from?
1: I think that they really, one of the main things was that they they began to feel accepted. Wow. They felt because the program has, you know, all of the kids have some sort of physical disability. They would see each other and say, Oh, I'm not alone. Oh, she has oh. braces. Oh, she's in a wheelchair. Oh, he has this problem, whatever it is. And then they they, they felt like they were included, accepted. They loved hearing the music and dancing to the music and learning steps and learning patterns and just the same as any kid, any yeah. typical kid. It's dances for everyone. As I told Michael, you can dance even if it's just with your eyes.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean some people can't really move very much but you can hear the music and you can sway back and forth. You can do so much Dance is such a rewarding thing in so many ways.
0: You're so right. You can coordinate anything to music, or you don't have to coordinate it to music, but anything can kind of become a dance. And, and I just love the idea of this film, too, because I, I think all of those people who don't have disabilities but say, oh, I can't dance, I mean, they should watch this because if they, you know, if these kids can do it, then they can do it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, everyone can but dance. About dancing. You just have to get rid of the self consciousness, which is one of the things that helps. Mm-hmm with arts education, dance education. Yeah. You get rid mm-hmm. of feeling self-conscious. You know, Everybody's out there jumping around, dancing, doing whatever, and it really makes a big difference.
0: Yeah.
1: That happens in classes, no matter whether the kids are typical or disabled or whatever. Uh, they, everybody begins to feel better about themselves because they have a sense of themselves. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it's the self-conscious piece that's really hard. For years, I mean, I was too self-conscious and too shy to dance on a dance floor. You know, I could do ballet, but I couldn't just let go and dance. And I think finally, I just decided, if I look really silly, then everybody else will join in because they'll think I can't look worse than that. You know, so just just start the (laughs) dance party. You know, if you don't look good, good, then maybe other people will join you. When I was in (laughs) high school, I
1: had a friend who. She had no rhythm, but she loved to dance. I mean, she couldn't hear the beat of the music. It was so interesting. But she loved to dance, and she said, just put me out there and just tell me when to start. And she would just start dancing. And it was just, like, wonderful, you know, just completely unselfconscious about it. I love that.
0: So we talked a little bit about how uh, you have done a lot of socially relevant um, filmmaking you know exploring socially relevant themes Um, you do seem to have this very strong artistic underpinning the dance background and also at the same time this commitment to social justice with the work that you're doing Um, i've kind of noticed this a lot within the dance community do you think the two somehow go hand in hand this artistic perspective empathy i don't know what it is
1: i think so yeah i i think that there is a wonderful uh program at hunter college that Jodi Arnholt has started yeah, and she teaches, her program teaches dancers to go out into the community and teach children to dance. So that, you know, there are all kinds of wonderful programs. Jacques Damboise, who's in the Suzanne Farrell film, what a wonderful man, Uh, and he started the uh, National Dance Institute, uh, getting kids out dancing. So I think that a lot of dancers have this feeling of wanting to give back and to and, and so that spurs a sort of active, activism. Uh, Jennifer Ringer was really wonderful. She really wanted to uh, carry on helping. And I know she's moved to LA and I'm not sure what she's doing right now, but I know that she was very interested in, in helping kids uh, with disabilities. She was very inspired by the girls from Dancing Dreams who she met. Mm-hmm. And I think it. I think it's just something that, uh, because dance is something, choreography is, is given from body to body. Yeah. You know, you you get the best when you're learning something from another dancer. If you're not looking at a videotape or whatever, I don't think that you learn that well that way. Yeah. So I think that it's something ingrained in dancers that they're they they want to help. They want to help the people coming behind them. So I think that there is a lot, of, uh, a lot of that feeling of wanting to pass on and to really help the next generation. That's interesting. I, I like that theory. I wouldn't have located the nexus
0: between the social justice and the art in that um, kind of the way we pass on on dance. But I think that that's a really good point. Um, and this is one of the few places where we still, where we still do that, you know. Uh, trades are kind of dying out, but with dance you really do um, have to learn from someone directly. You can kind of watch a videotape, but it's not the same. Um, so yeah, I, I love that theory. Maybe there's something in how we have to relate to each other in order to pass on the knowledge that, I don't know, makes dancers relate to other people or empathize with them more. Yeah, something. you know,
1: what, watching Suzanne Farrell translate her roles to other dancers was just magical. Mm. Seeing her coach them and talk about how Balanchine helped her, uh, how they work together, what she brought to the rehearsal, what he brought to the rehearsal, and then passing that on to these mm-hmm. you know dancers who are wonderful dancers already, professional dancers in their own right, mm-hmm. But seeing them really emerge into into a completely different place. Hmm. I I watched Peter Bowl after she coached him in Apollo, do the most spectacular performance I have ever seen. Wow. Yeah, it was just amazing. Um, And I think all of the people she coaches, I, I really saw... Because I was there at a number of different rehearsals, I saw the progress and and how she brought out in them what was special about them, in addition to having the Balanchine being channeled through her. It was just so interesting to see that. So I don't know if that's part of social justice, but (laughs) but it it comes into my head somehow that, that, you know passing on and and really making your art available to the next group of people is something that's really important yeah. and we want to keep alive those people like Paul Taylor and and you know Merce Cunningham and you know all the different wonderful Martha Graham all the wonderful yeah. choreographers uh from the past so
0: yeah. yeah i think there's definitely something something to that um passing on the knowledge and uh, yeah I love that you describe it as magical to see Suzanne Farrell pass on that knowledge to someone else it is so much more human you're right it kind of pulls us away from our screens and this increasingly micro world we're all living in in our own bubble and you're literally reaching out and relating directly to another human and trying to convey something so we need more of that we do (laughs) 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 I totally agree (laughs) so much more of that Um, one thing I had had on my mind before, to circle back for a second, is I'm so curious because with documentaries, I'm sure you have some sense of a plan or where it might go, but then it can change on you in in the middle as you're going through the process. Um, was there anything that took you by surprise while you were making um, Perfectly Normal for Me? Anything, I guess, did the arc develop in a way that surprised you at all?
1: it It's interesting. I always say that if you If your film is exactly the way you thought it was going to be when you started out, you weren't listening along the way. And, you know, there were things that happened that I I was surprised at. I was so grateful that the people who let me into their lives let me into their lives. The the families that opened up to me, the Vega family, the little twins, the five-year-old twins who are just amazing, uh, adorable little girls... They allowed me to come in. I I got them waking up on Three Kings Day, which is their Mexican Christmas sort of equivalent, and uh, going and opening presents, and it was just wonderful. Uh, You know those sorts of intimate moments that you, you know, you hope will happen, but you just really don't know whether anything is whether anybody's going to allow you in. I knew that the arc would be the year of. Uh, the school of the classes leading up to the recital. So there's a built-in arc to the film, but but you just never know what will happen along the way. And you know, little Jake wanting to play basketball, and then we were, I don't know, we were just there at the moments when he, when he starts, he sees a guy on the, and he's like amazed that this kid can dribble as much as he can, and he does a few dribbles, and then he goes to a a basketball game, and he dribbles more, he's taught to dribble a little more, and then it's just amazing to, to, when those things happen that you have no idea, and then he wants to play with older kids on the playground, and his mom won't let him because she's afraid he's going to get hurt. Right, yeah. So, you know, those things, you, you never... I always say the documentary gods are shining on me when, when I have those magical moments that happen in the filming. And they really make a big difference in what, you know, in, in how the story develops. Mm-hmm. So it's like just spending time. If you can just spend time with your subjects, you'll have a lot of, you know, wonderful things that happen, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> you, you never know i mean yeah. i've spent hours with with subjects and gone oh no what am i going to do with this but you know this was very intense and uh the people were so giving and generous mm. so it, it was quite wonderful wow. the way it developed
0: yeah it sounds like that gives it the heart that it needs to have Definitely. people really let you in that's excellent um and this is just because you know i'm a filmmaker or whatever I am in the film industry, and I'm curious. Um, it doesn't have to do with, with dance, but what is your process in general when you're approaching a film? And we do ask all of our artists about their process, so uh, it's worth <laughs> digging into a little bit. You mentioned that it's harder to get funding these days. Um, how, I guess, how do you approach the funding process and then kind of unfolding from there to create the documentary?
1: It's a lot of imagining. You know, you you have to for to get funding, you have to write proposals. Mm-hmm. And uh, with documentaries, you have no idea yeah. <laughs> what's gonna mm-hmm. happen.
0: Like you said, if you
1: did, then it you wouldn't be doing it right. <laughs> exactly. Huh. So, uh, you know, with Farmingville, my the film, the first film that I directed with Carlos Sandoval, um, we the the proposal that we first started out with was, oh, they're going to build a hiring site, and we're going to follow the hiring site through and watch the undocumented workers. Instead of congregating on the corners, they're going to be at the hiring site, and everybody's going to be much happier because the residents won't be so upset about people congregating at the 7-Eleven and all that sort of thing. And well, the hiring site got defeated. Oh, almost okay. immediately, okay. by the town coming out completely against it. So it was a completely different film from the what we started with. Wow. So, you know, you write your proposal and you think, well, I think this is the way it's going to go. Hmm. Uh, but you just don't know. And then you you have to hope that, you know, you you have to find funders who are sympathetic to your cause. You know, they're all the usual suspects, but finding the smaller niche foundations that might be able to give you you know five or ten thousand dollars is always uh really a nice thing and then i just like to start filming i i like to find i do research and i make sure that there's no other films like the one that i want to make or something that's uh, if there are other films like that that I know what they are so that I know how I might approach it differently Mm. and then you know I just like to film I love to film that's one of my favorites I love editing too I'm not an editor but I love the editing process Uh, and then seeing what you've got trying to put it together trying to figure out your story
0: which probably really takes shape in the edit more so than it does other, it yeah other genres. and
1: then yeah. a lot of times when what you, you think you've finished filming and then you go oh my god they have a hole here oh. I got to fill this hole how am I going to fill this hole
0: oh so you kind of have to edit as you go in order to know what more you need to get in a way yes, yes
1: and no footage. <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. sometimes you just go back you just go back and you you mm-hmm. try to get people to like, with documentaries, you can have people with voiceover telling you, you know, something that happened along the way, whatever. Oh, yeah, that makes but, sense. But, um, yeah, it's hard, especially when you're filming something that's just happening in that moment, and it's it's temporal, it'll never be there again. Yeah. So right. you have to be really careful to get enough coverage of what you're doing. Interesting. Or figure out a clever way to have somebody talk about it for you.
0: Yeah. And that is I guess one of the benefits of documentary to some extent you can go out and start shooting when you're ready. You That's right. Walk out the door with your camera.
1: You can. And, and you can happen. go by yourself. I don't like to. I don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, the- <laughs> but you can, you know, mm-hmm. if for a document there's a lot of documentary filmmakers who are just one man band, you know, you just mm-hmm. take your camera and you have your sound gear and you put your radio mic on the person that you're with. Yeah. I don't recommend that. It's really hard. Yeah, that would be hard. Uh, but, um, but I've done it plenty of times. Interesting.
0: Um, one thing I was thinking, this is just a funny observation as you were describing the proposal process, is there are parallels to that, the huge parallels in the dance world. We've, we've talked now to so many choreographers who have said, it's kind of nuts how you have to put together a proposal for your piece years in advance sometimes, a piece that will probably be shown in like a year and a half or something, and you have to start booking rehearsal space months, I don't know, a year, like so, so far out. Um, And then the dance takes shape, you know, from there, because as a choreographer, you kind of can't say, oh, well, this is definitely what I'm going to do. Most choreographers have to get into the studio and start working with their dancers and then see where the, where the piece goes. Um, So that's interesting that, you and these uh, choreographers are kind of experiencing the same thing where you're like, well, here's what I'm proposing, and it'll probably be totally different, but <laughs> you've got to propose something.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and and, you know, and it takes a long time to get the money. I imagine. Some yeah. grant proposals you, you put in in March, and you don't find out until the following February. Well,
0: yeah. Um, Jessica and I actually both work in, well, Jessica works in government grants, and I worked for her for a little while, um, and... Yes, those, those were definitely very long turnaround times. And, I mean, you wouldn't have the actual funding in hand. Sometimes it's reimbursement style. And so, yeah, actually getting the money is like leagues away from proposing for it.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Unfortunately. Yeah, that must make it hard. for. It's really the hard. Standpoint. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really hard making
1: films. Yeah. Documentaries especially. But
0: you do it so well. Thank <laughs> you. What are you working on next? Um, what's on the horizon and what are your goals for the next year or
1: whatever time frame you're thinking in? I've been teaching at NYU. Oh, okay. I'm teaching filmmaking. I've been teaching oh. documentary filmmaking. And this semester, I'm teaching filmmaking filmmaking. Oh. And I have a project. I have a couple of things that I'm trying to get going. It's always difficult. Funding is always the hard part. Especially documentary. Oh, it's God, it's really hard. And and now, you know, it's not like it used to be where you could write a proposal and have a great idea and somebody would go oh that sounds like a good idea here's (laughs) here's Uh money for that Uh now everyone wants you to come in with a sample and uh they want you to have your whole idea everything that you want to do well I mean Mm -hmm. so I'm doing a lot of research right now I have a uh I'm back into the social issue arena I'm doing research on a a Supreme Court doctrine, probably one of the most important Supreme Court doctrines that you've never heard of. It's called qualified immunity. And the thing about it is, it allows police officers and government officials to violate your civil rights and totally get away with it. They can even kill you and they can get away with it because they can say, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that that wasn't okay for me to kill you in your doorway. Mm. uh, when I didn't identify myself as a police officer and you came and answered the door at two o'clock in the morning with a gun in your hand. Oh wow! Yeah. So it's like stuff like that. Interesting. <laughs> so that will be research heavy. At the it beginning. is research heavy. Huh. Um, and I'm not sure where I'm going with that yet, but that's, uh, that's the thing that's on my plate at the moment. That's really exciting. I mean, hopefully you can get the funding and Yes. Everything that
0: you need. Um well thank you so much for speaking with me today. Is there anything else uh, we missed or that you want to mention? Anything you're promoting or like <laughs> I'm promoting perfectly normal for me. Yes, which can be streamed on worldchannel.org
1: as a reminder to everyone. Well, thank you so much. This was really you. fun. Great.